You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. This is God's word. All right. Amen. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? I, uh, they just had to mop me off the floor after that worship session. We just had this cleanup on aisle one. Um, thank you, worship team, for leading us. That was really powerful um, just to sense God's presence. How many know we don't always sense and feel God's presence? But there are times when we do, and it's so beautiful. Amen? Amen. Uh, my name's Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to be speaking with you. We're kind of in an informal series on the book of Psalms, um, which is kind of the songbook and prayer book of God's people for uh, thousands of years it has been. And uh, we're just kind of working our way through. We had a guest speaker last week, uh, Tim Kane from Kaleo Church, and he uh, preached the house down. Um, it was very powerful and awesome. I'm going to see if I get my mic right here, or it's not in my beard. should have trimmed a little bit more. Um, and he, he talked about the good life, and it was so powerful. I, it blessed so many people that I talked to. If you weren't here, if you didn't hear it, it's on the website. Go and listen to it. We put our sermons on our uh, Facebook page, our our. Um, there's a little camera right here that's recording us, so if you ever want to watch the video, um, if you go to our, our public New City Facebook page, um, the sermons are there. Um, go listen to that. It was so awesome, and um, I uh, am happy to be preaching here today on Psalm 63. Um, deserts are scary places. Anyone um, spent any time in a desert? I know we're, we're not quite in a desert here in San Diego, but... Um, maybe go a few hours east and you can uh, have fun on the dunes or take a, a quad, which in Arkansas we call them four-wheelers. I, had, I moved out here and everyone's like, a quad? I'm like, what? Okay, same thing. Um, but uh, I remember a few years ago, Hannah and I, my wife, we went on a camping trip and, and like around Julian, but then we went down the mountain to that uh, uh, Borrego Desert. We were going to go check out the Salton Sea. And we were driving across the desert about an hour or hour and a half, and it was summer. And um, I just kind of, after driving for a while, I noticed, like, I haven't seen any cars in a long time. And, uh, I mean, it's a highway. It's a, it's a pretty good road, you know. And then I looked at the, her, her car had the temperature thing, and um, it's 105 degrees outside. Okay. 
Um, and then I started thinking, do we have any water in the car? No, we don't have any water in the car. Uh, we don't have any food here. Um, and then, my, you know, how your mind does, I just went to, okay, what if the car breaks down? Like, what are we going to do? Because, um, I mean, I, I'm a ginger. And like... <laughs> And I'm not that, you know, mechanically inclined, so I don't know that I could fix the car that quickly. Um, and I just, you know, just had that realization. If we, if, if we have any problems, like, thank God there's air in the tires and all this stuff, but if we ran out of gas or if we had problems, like, we would have, like, problems. Like, it would be, um, it would be scary. And um, I don't know if you guys noticed as Phil was reading this passage, the heading on this psalm. Is it's a psalm of David um, that King David wrote. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. When he was in the desert of Judah. And if you look into a little bit of the backstory of this psalm, um, it's a time when uh, King David was on the run. It's most likely related to a time that's recorded in 2 Samuel 15 through 17, where he's king, he lives in Jerusalem in the palace, and then there are people that are wanting to do a coup. They don't want him to be king anymore. They want to take over. So, uh, and they are getting pretty successful at this coup thing. And so David actually gets ran out of the palace. And he's ran out of the capital. And he's got some people with him, but he's basically alone in the desert, feeling abandoned, feeling like, where are my resources going to come from? I was pretty comfortable in the palace. Things were going great. And now I'm here in the desert. And the worst part about it is the person who was leading the coup to take over was his own son, Absalom. So not only is he feeling, I'm out here, I'm in a scary place, I don't have many resources, there's not many options I have if things go wrong, it's not going to go on for very long. And on top of all that, he's feeling betrayed by his own son, who is the one who is chasing after him. Yet, in the middle of that psalm in verse 5, David says this phrase, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And uh, he's not talking about a California burrito, believe it or not, or, uh, you know, all you can eat Korean barbecue. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know I'm the only thing standing between you and lunch, so I don't, I don't want to go too long today, but... He's not talking about that. He's talking about what? Feasting on God's goodness. He's talking about even though I'm here, I'm in the desert, I can feast on the goodness of God. I can feast in the desert. So today as we're looking at this psalm, I want to ask that question. How can we feast in the desert? Because how many know there's times that we go through in life that feel like deserts? There's times, there's times of plenty, and we praise God, and we thank God for those, and then there's time when we're, we feel out of place, and we feel a little bit lost, and everything was nice a few weeks ago, and now it's different, and uh, you know, resources seem scarce, and, and maybe it's even enemies. Like I feel like enemies are gathered around me and after me and chasing after me or whatever it may be, but the Scripture says that you can have a feast in the desert. The Scripture says that um, you can have a relationship with God even when you feel distant from God. Even when God seems distant, uh, your circumstance 
doesn't have to determine your relationship with God. And so that's what I want to look at today. How can we, how can we feast in the desert? And I'm going to be spending time in that psalm. We're basically going to walk through it. If you have your Bible, uh, keep it handy. Um, and uh, you guys down? Ready? All right. First things first. How can we feast in the desert? First point I want to make is what David does is recognize, recognize that your thirst is for God. Recognize that your thirst, the thirst that you're feeling spiritually is for God. See, all of us go through dry seasons. All of us do that, but not everyone acknowledges that God is the one that they're thirsty for. I love this quote from the actor and comedian Jim Carrey. Um, It's all over the internet and there's memes for it. So um, anyways, maybe you've heard of it, but Jim Carrey, I think, what does he make? Like 20 million per movie? At least that was, that was like 10 years ago. He's rolling in it, right? (laughs) Uh, Most comedians don't get paid that much. Um, He said this, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. So they will know that it's not the answer. See, notice when David's in the desert and he's feeling that thirst, he's feeling that metaphorical spiritual thirst. He doesn't say, I thirst for my palace. Or I thirst for the blood of my enemies. Even though maybe he wants some revenge at this time. Or I thirst for my comfort. Oh, that I could be comfortable right now. No, he says in verse 1, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. That first verse, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. This psalm is so personal, it's crazy. In the first eight verses, if you count it up, David says you or your 16 times. He's talking to God. I'm in a desert. I feel thirsty, but it's you. You're the, you're the answer. You're the one I need. What I mean with this first point is that when you're feeling spiritually thirsty, it's so easy to go to other things that, are gonna, that we think are going to quench our thirst, right? It's so easy to go to something to either uh, numb us to the situation or distract us, whether it's just entertainment like like Netflix, you know, I've had a hard week. I just, want to, I just need to watch three hours of The Office um, before they take it off, you know, next year. Take advantage of that. Um, I am. No, um, but no, it's easy for us to go to something else to just get, get our mind off the situation. Hey, anyone? Yeah. And, it, and it's easy to go to other things that, are, that aren't so good, that aren't healthy for us. You know, whether it's a drug or a substance or a, a few drinks or... or um, uh, a sexual experience, you know, we're th- our relationship, this is what I really need. This is what I'm thirsty for. We even go after sinful things thinking that that's going to quench our thirst. And yet we're reminded in this psalm, what you're really thirsty for is God. And if you want to have a feast in the desert, you're going to have to point that thirst to God. Amen? Amen. Next thing. First thing is recognize your thirst is for God. Next thing is remember the times of God's presence. Remember the times of God's presence. So David's there in the desert. He is on the run. He's not in a good situation. He acknowledges his thirst. But then he does something real interesting. He says this, verse 2, I have seen you in the sanctuary 
and beheld your power and your glory. David's not in the sanctuary right now. He's not in the tabernacle. He's not in Jerusalem, the city where the sanctuary is. But he says something, and he's, I don't want to get boring with verb tenses, but he's talking about the past tense. I don't see you right now. He's saying, I have seen you, God. I have seen you in the sanctuary, and I've beheld your power and your glory. What David is doing here is calling to memory times of being in God's presence. He's saying, right now I'm thirsty, and I thirst for you, and it doesn't feel like you're close, but I have seen you. I remember how beautiful it is to be in your presence, God. He's talking about corporate worship, where we are today, about being with the saints of God and worshiping God. I know how beautiful it is. I remember that. I don't see it now. I don't feel it now. I'm not singing with the saints right now. I'm not sensing your presence, but I have seen you, and it's so beautiful. I have felt you speak to my soul, God, and it's so good as I remember it. One of the best things you can do when God seems distant is to remember the times when he didn't seem distant. Remember the times when you were in his presence, where he felt so near. The reason for that is it reminds you of what's true. How many know our, our perspective can get short-sighted, right? Uh, psychologically, they even talk about with depression. A lot of people describe depression as having tunnel vision. And it becomes this downward cycle of, I can only, I feel so bad, which is legitimate, but it, it feels so overwhelming that I can only see how bad I feel, which makes me feel worse, right? And so there's a beauty to what the scripture is teaching us here. Like, when you feel bad, when you feel distant from God, you can acknowledge that, and that can be real. But don't just let that be your whole world. Remember times when God didn't feel distant, where he felt so close, where he felt so glorious, where they had to mop you off the floor, right, (laughs) on aisle one. Um, Remember those times, because it reminds us of these truths, that God is always good, and you are always loved. God is always good. And you are always loved. Gives you perspective instead of you can acknowledge the negative without only focusing on the negative. Because you can say, I remember, I have seen you. I know that you're good. It's like that song we sang last week, what's true in the light is still true in the dark. Amen. So we remember times of God's presence. All right, we're moving on. You guys surprised? We're moving on. (laughs) You guys got that one? Okay, cool. Then we can move on. Um, next thing, we find it in verse 3, but it's, it's this. The next way, the next thing that we can do to feast in God's presence, really to access that goodness of God that, that Tim preached about last week, is this. Confess that God's love is better than life. This is really kind of the the magic of the gospel, if I can put it that way, the heart of the gospel, in many ways is contained in this verse, in verse 3, because it's a truth that David has latched onto that explains why he can write this whole psalm and why he can even experience it. 
when he says this, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. David, the king, who had all the wealth that he could have wished for, who had the best meals, who had the palace, who knew what it was like to have that life, said, your love is better than life. Everything on this earth, everything that life can offer me, the best of it is inferior, God, to you, to having you, to having your love. The word there for love, the Hebrew word has said, is one of the richest terms in the Old Testament for God's covenant faithful love, that he will not let go, that he will be faithful. I am his, he is mine. Like that first verse, oh God, you are my God. He's reminding God there's a covenant here and you're not just some impersonal force. You are a personal loving God and you are mine. And knowing you and knowing your love is worth more than anything else in this life, even life itself. Can you say that? Can you say that? Can you say that about God's love? Think of your hopes. Think of your dreams. Think of your plans for the next five years. Think of your finances. Think of your security. Think of your health. Think of all great good things. But if you had to give all those up, and if all you got in return was God and his love, would you have gotten the better end of the bargain? If you're like me, I like to think that I could say that. And there's some days that I know I could say that, but then there's other times that I don't. And yet, if we can say that, if we can get to a point where we can confess that with our hearts, that God, your love is better, even that life itself. You know, that's what we mean when we say Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Or take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Or like Jesus who said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? When we can get to that point of confessing this, it's like the Psalm 73 that Tim preached from last week. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's what Paul was saying in Philippians 3 when he said this, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. There is a truth that Christians hold on to that God's love is better than life itself. And let hear, hear me today. It's not a mind trick. It's not a mind trick. It's not make-believe. It's not mind over matter. When you agree with this truth, it's alignment with what is true at the bottom of the universe. You know, before... Before there was dirt for you and I to walk on, before you were a thought in your parents' mind, before you knew how to say a word, you know what was there? Before anything existed, it was God and his love. 
And when you're dead and gone and when generations have gone by and when the sun gets cold and the stars go out, you know what will be there? God and his love. And so when you say God's love is better than life, you are agreeing with the truth and you are agreeing with the bottom, the, the ground, the base, baseline truth that we are built on. We are built for to experience God's love. This truth was so important to the early Christians in the first few centuries of the church when the church was still very much persecuted and um, people were being killed for their faith and they would meet in homes and in private areas to worship. The ancient church thought that this truth was so important that they would begin their, their times of worship by reading this psalm. And many of them would begin by reading this verse of this song. John uh, Chrysostom, um, which was, he was a preacher in the 300s, and Chrysostom means golden mouth, so he must have been really good. <laughs> he was one of the most popular in, in that century. And he said that the early church fathers decreed that there shouldn't go a day where the sun goes down where we haven't read this song. Why was it so important to them? Because as they were gathering to worship Jesus, many of them, their friends and their family, were facing even death in order to know this love. And they said, we need to remind ourselves that God's love that we've experienced is more than even life. It's like the experience I had five years ago when I got to go to an area of Southeast Asia and I met, um, we had to go at nighttime so that uh, people didn't sit, see me because I guess I stand out. With, um, it wasn't just for me. But they, didn't, they couldn't see where we were and what we were doing because we were going to a safe house for um, uh, believers in Jesus who had a Muslim background and were facing persecution. And I got to meet with teenager boys, 14, 15, 16, who had to leave their families for their own safety because they believed in Jesus. And we asked them, why do you follow Jesus? Because he's the one who promises us life. God's love is better than life. It's the truth here. You know, we say when, when, when Jesus is all you have, you find out he's all you need, right? I think this verse kicks it up a notch. When Jesus is all you have, he's more than everything you need. He is. There's a book I read uh, a month or two ago by Rebecca McLaughlin called Confronting Christianity, and I can't, can't recommend it enough. Beautiful book. But near the end, she says this, and I think it just kind of sums up how all-sufficient Jesus is for us. She says, if Jesus is the bread of life, loss of Jesus means starving. If Jesus is the light of the world, loss of Jesus means darkness. If Jesus is the good shepherd, loss of Jesus means wandering alone and lost. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, loss of Jesus is eternal death. And if Jesus is the Lamb of God sacrificed for our sins, loss of Jesus means paying that price ourselves. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And hear me today, brother or sister, it, you may falter, you may not always feel that, but if you can remind yourself and confess this truth that God's love is what I really need. God's love is what I need in this desert. That is one of the keys that will unlock the door to feasting, even though you are in a parched land without water. 
God's love is better than life. Next point. Next point, how we can feast in the desert. Something that David does in the next verse. The verse 4 says, um, I will praise you as long as you live, as long as I live. (laughs) I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. How can we feast in the desert? We praise before. Praise before you feel joy. Praise before you feel joy. That's coffee and I need water. (laughs) Mm. Do you hear it? You can hear it in David's voice or in his pen. I will. There's a choice here. I will praise you. As long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. You know what that is? Like, that's, a uni- that's one of the universal symbols for joy, right? If you're, if you're a Padres fan, um, hang in there. No, um, no if, you're, if you're a Padres fan or if you, you like to watch a certain sport and when your team scores, right, what, what do you do without thinking? Right? Or what is the whole stadium of thousands of people, ah, right? And drinks go everywhere, popcorn, right? It's, it's instantaneous. Um, you can't control it. Sometimes, you know, some of you, your kids are asleep in the other room, but you wake them up because you're just, ah, that's awesome, right? <laughs> but I want you to notice something. When David writes this, he's not feeling joy necessarily. But he's making the choice anyway. He's committing anyways. I'm going to commit to praising God before I feel joy. I'm going to act before I feel. The action precedes the feeling of joy. I will praise you not because it's easy, not because I feel like it, not because your blessings are obvious to me right now, not because of anything that you've given me, but because You alone are worthy because of who you are, God. I will praise you. I will lift up my hands because your love is so good. Your love is so good. Something I think is so beautiful about the Christian faith that it offers the world is that your joy doesn't have to be tied to your circumstance. And yet, circumstances are bad and they can be good and your happiness can go up and down, but you can have true joy. It's a quote from a theologian, Peter Kreeft. He talks about the joy that comes when we surrender to God. It says this, No one who ever said to God, Thy will be done, and meant it with his heart, ever failed to find joy. Not just in heaven, or even down the road in the future in this world, but in this world at that very moment, here and now, in the very act of self-surrender to God, there is joy. Not just later as a consequence, but right then. Now hear me. He's not saying that the things we're going through ought to make us happy no matter what happens. But there's an element of saying, God, your will be done. I will praise you. I remember, I've been in your presence. I remember your goodness. Your love is worth more to me. Everything. I grew up listening to gospel music. John P. Key is one of my favorites. 
And uh, anyone? John P. Key? No? All right. Derek, Marco, you guys got me. I was going to say, tough crowd over here. John P. Key says, there's only two times to praise him, when I feel like it and when I don't. It's on the song that I was listening to on the way here this morning. David makes a conscious decision to praise before joy. And then look what David says right after. Verse 5. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. That's what the ESV says. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That's that spiritual California burrito, right? Back to, back to the California burrito. If anyone knew what a satisfying meal was, it would be the king, right? And he's saying, my soul is going to be satisfied like that. But nothing here in his immediate circumstance has changed right now. You realize the, psalm, the heading of the psalm still says, when he was in the desert of Judah. He's saying all around me it looks desolate. It seems like God is distant. Even though it looks like that, I'll be feasting on God's love. I'll be feasting on God's love and I'll be satisfied. And the picture in my mind of that, that kind of feast, or, or of one way that it looks for us as Christians to have that feast is um, uh, there was a movie in the early 90s called Hook. Yeah, yeah. Peter Pan, Robin Williams was Peter Pan. Um, rest in peace. And yes, there's a scene. Some of you guys are already there. There's a scene. There's a feast scene. Um, but, so b- before that, <laughs> there's a feast scene that happens. And he's been, in, uh, he's been with the Lost Boys. They're trying to remind him what it means. to. Pe- he doesn't remember that he's Peter Pan. And I don't have to explain the whole movie, but... Uh, he's tired, he's worn out, and they're going to have a meal. And he gets excited because he's super hungry. And he just kind of hobbles up to the table. And, and there's steaming pots and that they're passing around. And they're all closed so far, right? And then, and then um, when you know, they say grace, grace. And then, they, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then they go to eat. They take the lids off. And it's like steam goes away and there's nothing there. And you just see his face go down and that he was so he was he, he was so hungry he was so looking forward to it and then he gets um, he's upset a little bit and uh, there's some back and forth banter and all that stuff. Tinkerbell says, "Eat. What's the deal? Where's the real food?" He says, "Eat what? There's nothing here." And then he finally sees it. Right? Finally sees it. And there's all this food of different colors. And they say, you know, one of the lost boys says, use your imagination, Peter. You're doing it, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) But what is it? Once that's unlocked, it is a feast. And there's all these pies and there's all these, you know, turkey legs and there's he, he couldn't see it before, but there's a feast, and now it's like so much fun that he's like, the, the pleasure sensors are going crazy, and then they start a food fight, and they're just laughing and enjoying this feast bigger than he's ever seen before. And that's the picture that I had when I was, that's, I'm weird, but that's the picture that I had as I was praying and preparing for this week, thinking about, God, what does it look like to 
to feast on you when it seems like there's nothing to feast on. And the thing is, it's not a mind trick, and it's not like Peter Pan, just use your imagination. (laughs) It's not intellectual willpower and stubbornness. It's realizing that God's love is better than life. It's realizing like Kashima reminded us today that we have the good life. We have the nearness of God. It may look like I'm in a desert, but I'm feasting on God's love. It may look like my hands are empty, but they're full of God's goodness to me. It may look like I'm surrounded by enemies, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Bangarang. <laughs> that is bangarang. It's so good. It's so good that God has offered that to us. And the, the very in the next few verses, he says, "On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because of your, because you're my help, I'll sing in the shadow of your wings." And I think we read that and we think, "Oh, that's pleasant." He thinks of them through the night. He thinks of God, and it's like, no, he's up all night worrying. But he knows I need reminding of God's goodness. I need reminding of God's goodness through the watches of the night. I will remember your goodness to me. There's one more thing that helps us, that's necessary really in order to feast in the desert that verse 8 points us to. And it says this, I cling to you. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. There's really two aspects that this verse is saying we have that, that that are part of your relationship with God. First, you've got to cling to God, especially during a desert time. That word for cling is the same word that's, that's used in Genesis 2 for, for marriage, that the two shall become one, be united. It's the same word. I will cling. God, I will cling to you. I will hold on with everything I've got. Even though it feels like I don't have much, I will cling and hold on to you with everything I've got. We've got to use all our strength. You've got to do all you can to do can do to cling to God's presence. But then the second part, it tells us in the second part of that verse, you can only cling because God is holding you. Because his right hand upholds you. I will cling to you, but you are holding me. I will cling to you, but you're the one who's holding me. I'll cling with all I've got, but all I've got is not enough strength. You are holding me. Cling And no, listen to me, if if you're here and you're in a desert time, and if God's really speaking to you through this message, cling to God, but know that God will never let go. God will never let go. Never let go. How can we know that? How can we know that God will never let go? Because there is one, and there is only one, who really lived as though God's love was better than life. Jesus. Jesus valued God's love above all. Jesus valued God's love for all the times that I've tried to cling to God but let go. Jesus valued God's love above his own life. 
And he prayed in the garden, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That song we sing about man of sorrows, man of sorrows, lamb of God, by his own betrayed, the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned, bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. And we sing, oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Why would God, why would he do that? Why would he love God so much and seek God's will so much that he was willing to take a crown of thorns? Hebrews 12 gives us a a picture. 12 verse 2 when it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And I know I've said this before, but maybe you need to hear it again. Jesus did that for the joy that was set before him. And that joy is you and me in relationship with him. That Jesus lived all of his life in the love of God and for the love of God and for the will of God. And he cherished the Father's love even more than his own life. For all the times that we've failed in that and I've looked to other things to fulfill my thirst, Jesus lived for God's love more than his own life. And the scripture says that he did that for the joy set before him. Do you see that? He acted before that joy. He went to the cross He was promised joy on the other side of it. But you know what he did? He acted before he felt that joy. And he went to that cross for you and for me. Even though he was the living water and he said, if you're thirsty, come to me. On the cross, he went and he said, I thirst. The living water became thirsty for you and me. And when you remember that love and when you see that love and when you rehearse it in your heart, you begin to, this is the kind of love that is better than life. That Jesus would give up his life for me. In contrast to how I've often failed, how we've often failed at each of those other things, I've thirsted for other things instead of God. I've focused on my present circumstance instead of God's presence. I've lived like many things in this world were better than the love of God. If you look at where I put my time and my passion and my energy, I've lived like other things were better than God's love. I've withheld praise from God until I felt like it. I've clung to my own sin and my own wants more than clinging to God. And yet, Jesus, knowing all that and knowing that God's love for him was better than life and that the love he would offer us would be better than life, went to the cross to die on our behalf. I love that in John 4 when he's with the woman at the well and the disciples come back and say, are you hungry? And he says, oh, I have food you don't know about. I have food that you know not of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know what he said on the cross? It is finished. 
is finished. He did that for us. He did that so that we could remember his presence and experience his love even in the desert times of life and the good times and the bad times and the parched times that we could drink freely from the fountain of life that never runs dry. I love what David goes on. A lot of people just focus on the first eight verses and then we leave off the last three because they they don't really sound as politically correct. (laughs) David says, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They'll go down to the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. You see, he says this, I'm going to feast on God, but they're going to become somebody else's food. Um, But the king will rejoice in God and all who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. And I know we don't always look at that. We're like, oh, that's not nice. (laughs) That's not nice, David. Even though we've all felt that, (laughs) right? But here's the bigger point to me. When David feasts in God, he says, all those people that are try- they're seeking to kill me, all my enemies, all the people that have put me in the situation, God, that doesn't even matter anymore. I give that over to you. I'm not consumed by that. I'm consumed by you. Even my enemies can't take my, my passion and my energy and my focus away from you, God, because this feast is too good. This feast is too good. There's a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I love the lyrics. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death, and, through death into life everlasting, he passed, and we follow him there. Over us, sin no more has dominion, for more than conquerors we are. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And you know what? We might look, it might look a little funny to the people around us. It might look like we got empty pots and pans when we're feasting. But a world needs to see a people who are feasting on God's love. Whether they have it all together or whether they're going through a broken time and a broken season, what the people around you need to see is not you just rejoicing in the things that are easy to rejoice about, but you rejoicing and feasting on God's love when they know you're not going through the best of times. And when we believe and confess and remind ourselves that God's love is better than life, that's how we can feast in the desert. Let's pray.
Father, I just thank you so much. Thank you for a time of being together with your people. Thank you for your presence and your, the sweetness of just knowing that you're near and that you're here, God. I thank you that your word is what guides us and instructs us and teaches us. I thank you for speaking to us through your word, Lord. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply it right now to my heart and to every heart that's gathered here, Lord. You truly are the one, God, who offers us a love that is better than anything we could imagine or comprehend. And Lord, how often I've been guilty of overlooking that and saying, I know you love me, but I need this too. Or I know you love me, but I I can't feel it right now. But yet, you remind us of what's true. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this psalm. I pray over every woman and man that's here. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister in in a powerful way. In the next few minutes, we want to open our hearts to you. We want to open our lives to you. If you're here today, I don't know what what part spoke to you. Maybe it's that you need to, you know you're thirsty, but you need to direct that thirst to God. Or maybe it's you need to remember, even right now you don't feel God's presence, but you need to remember the times when you saw and felt the presence of God. Or maybe it's reminding that God's love is more than enough. Or maybe you're here today and you don't feel joy at all, but you just need to lift your hands and praise. Praise God because of who he is, because of his love for you. God, we just take a few minutes to respond and pray that you would meet us here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.